0: From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on Shortwave Radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting.
1: Cosplay, it's not just for kids anymore and most of it shouldn't be anyway.
2: Documentary director Jean-Philippe Rochu joins us to talk about a phenomenon you might think started in
1: Japan. We'll separate the furries from the fans and find out why adults turn to their inner child.
2: Plus, a Bill Barilko hockey card you would never keep tucked up under your 50-mission cap. GNB's Jay Moon in conversation with one fan who sold his hip-signed card for charity.
0: The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Here
3: we go. Don't wear normal clothes, why should I care? My cape lets me fly right through the air. I'm in if you're down to dress up tonight. This cosplay is a
0: good time. I'm going to Snow White You go as the
2: So I took my little one off to the Fan Expo in Toronto this past fall. Yes. Before I did, I said, hey, you know, there's going to be a big Star Trek component to this. And she was a huge fan of Star Trek Voyager. I introduced her to Star Trek through Voyager because I wanted her to have a strong female role model. And of course, Jane Way as the captain was that. And I had bought her one of those Star Trek comm badges, but specifically the model from Voyager. Because I had the original from Next Generation. Okay. And I I thought, okay, I'll I'll just give this to her. And I said, you know what? You could wear it at the the big uh, fan expo. And she looked at me like I was the stupidest dad ever. Like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And so I just dropped it. And then the next morning, up we go. We get dressed. We get ready to go. We get out the door. And it isn't until we're on the floor of the convention center that I realize... In fact, yes, she's wearing it. She snuck it on her wardrobe as we left the house, and she was so proud to be amongst her kind.
1: I don't have any problem with your daughter doing this. Dressing up (laughs) as a kid is a really fun thing. When I was growing up, I had my mom make me a Superman cape. For a while, I had a utility belt that I wore everywhere. But after a certain point, I kind of grew out of this idea of pretending to be a superhero or somebody I I was not. So the whole concept of cosplay is completely lost on me as an adult, which I realize is probably a generational thing. I'm currently reading a book right now by Kurt Anderson called Fantasyland, How America Went Haywire. And one of the things that they talk about are uh, that he talks about is is cosplay becoming a, a normalized thing for adults. Where they go to Comic-Con, they go to fan expos, they go to Civil War reenactments, Uh, you know, there were furries who dress up in little weird costumes and have sex with each other.
2: That's a little bit
1: different. Well, okay, And and this (laughs) this idea that dressing up, pretending to be something that you're not, which used to be the domain of children has now become also the domain of adults who have not necessarily left all of their adolescence behind.
2: Oh, come on. There's a huge difference between being a kid at age five walking around with a bat utility belt 24-7. My little brother's uh, child, he's five, and he walks around all day like a pirate because he loves Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, But the point that you just made was the point you made yourself, which is that they're not walking around all the time dressed as their favorite character it's just this you know once a year the big show comes
1: into town they get all into it and and it's it's a, a fascinating way to bond with your fellow fans but this is something that is a recent manifestation of arrested adolescence Oh, no, it's not. It is not. This goes way, way back. As a matter of fact, I
2: need to prove it to you by bringing in Jean Philippe Brochure. He is a documentarian. He's, uh, uh, over the last two years, made a movie called Cosplay Culture. It's available on Vimeo right now. And there's a great quote in it that says, What differentiates us from the animals is we like to dress up for fun. He joins us now from Mexico City. Good to have you with us. Hi. You're going to have to prove that, that Alan's just a little bit behind the times here. Am I right? If I recall correctly, dressing dressing up for a convention like this goes all the way back to the 1930s.
3: Yes, well, the first in the in the movie we explore that uh, the first convention. The, uh that took place in New York was in 1930s and it's the first time as we know of in, in modern history that somebody dressed up as a sci-fi character he uh, was the only one that year with a girlfriend I think but uh, <laughs> the following years it started to, to grow and I think uh, the biggest break for cosplay was in the 80s and we can see a lot of pictures of 80s cosplay uh, in the movie and it's it was back then it was more and more uh, there was less rule i could say maybe less dressing also like people were they were not dressed as um as uh, as we find them today, a lot of people were half naked, if I can say. Uh, but you no, know, it's it goes back way before that, from the time of the masquerade in, in the Roman Empire. You know, people like to get in somebody else's skin and you know be a king for a day or something. You know, it's I think it's part of you our human. Uh, specificity like you said you know we're in, this is what defense defense oh, sorry about that i'm french by the way <laughs> this is what defense the what well, that's the difference between you know animals and and um and human in some way like like uh we say in the movie like head of says
1: well i'll i'll grant you that the idea of the masquerade ball goes back centuries uh i mean they were doing it uh, in louis the time however, the where we've gone today extends it be far, far beyond just one or two balls that you would go to in the course of a year. I mean, the people who get into this, and and okay, first of all, I'm not, you know, whatever floats your boat, fill your boots. I don't care. Do what makes you happy. I just think it's a little weird that a lot of people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s are 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 basically doing dress up like kids, and there's they're serious about it. But, you know, they're not dressing up as as famous people. They're dressing up as cartoon characters, as as superheroes. It's just weird to me.
3: Yeah, well, yeah. It it was a bit weird to me at first, also. I mean, uh, but uh, you know, I, I think the vast majority of the people who go into Comic Con or any conventions, maybe go there once a year, and they dress up, and they dress up for fun. You know, they they don't try to play or act out that the character. But the other twenty percent who are very dedicated are really into it, and they can go to four, five, six, seven conventions a, a year, and they will spend you know, hundreds of hours working on their costume. And it's I think it's just for me, you know, it's you know, video games used to be a, a, a kid's a kids game, you know, it's in the eighties. You were teenagers would play video games, but now I mean, there's no shame in playing video games, what no matter what how old you are. And I think these people, well, they they just embrace their yes, their their, their kids side at, at some point. But also they they I think it's it's a way for them to connect with people that uh, share the same interests and you know dressing up is, is one way to do that and because otherwise apart from chatting online and, and exchanging pictures on Facebook well these people now f- found a way and a place to meet each other and share their interest and you know for the, the vast majority I would say 98 percent of the people I met there were you know uh, very normal and out of full life and jobs and uh, uh, there's also uh, the a small minority of people who are just weirdos <laughs> like you, you you mentioned the furries yeah these people share other sets of values not all of them of course but you know and some people just like to you know show their body they work out uh 40 hours a week and so they dress up as you know a wonder woman to you know show a bit of skin uh, once a year and i as you said you know whatever you know, whatever you like in life, it's, uh, it's up to you. You point out
2: that um, the furries, that that's sexuality. that That's a little bit different than standard cosplay. But then you, you get into that point about how women are, are quite frequently the ones who are initiating this dress-up at the Comic-Cons and, and fan expos and things of that nature. Give us a sense of, of that, because I know that when you go to these conventions, there are signs everywhere that say, just because she's scantily clad doesn't mean you get to paw at her.
3: Yeah, that's this is something very tricky. I, I You know, I asked the questions to many women about how they felt, you know, I think all these people, mostly men, sometimes staring at them, taking pictures. I think for the vast majority of them, they are happy to be there and they are proud of their body most of the time and they like the exposure and they like being watched. And I think it's it's... You know, I, I I took the feminist standpoint in the interviews trying to understand if this was a problem. And I think the, the problem is starting to be that, uh, you know, some people are going to this con- these conventions to maybe uh, dress up, but they don't really – they are not really – Uh, that much into the character or they don't love the character that much because, uh, you know, first and foremost, cosplay was by and for people, fans, you know, diehard fans of a specific TV show or video game. And now, well, you know, you see a lot of people who who looks at, for example, League of Legends games where there's, I don't know, 50 characters and they take the sexiest one of them and they do their own, uh, costume and they go out, and well, but at the same time, it's, I think it's, you know, it, it takes a, a, different people for, but uh, to make a world. But I, at the same time, it's not something that's, for me, at least in Canada and the, the conventions I've seen in the States, most people who were there were very respectful. And the, the, the women and the men who show their body well, they do it because they want to. And, you know, you don't have to. Because you can also you can choose the way you want to interpret a character, and you know it's up to you if you want to do a sexy Wonder Woman or a more dark one, or uh, so. But it, it's it's true that it's it's sometimes it can be. Uh, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't like to have my 14 years old daughter go to a <laughs> to a comic con dressed as some some of the kids I saw there. That's that, that's true.
1: Okay, let me go back to something that you said. And again, let me go back to this book called Fantasyland, How America Went Haywire. One of the things the author talks about is video games. This is something that adults play. We would have never seen adults playing stand-up video games in, arcade, in arcades back in the, in the 70s and 80s. That just did not happen. Maybe in a bar, but certainly the, the interest in video games was not there. We would never see uh, grown people read comic books back in the 70s and 80s, except for the hardcore collectors. This is something that, again, I I don't mean to disparage anybody who is into this sort of thing, but I think this is part of a larger uh, sociological phenomenon where we're seeing people stay with their childlike wonder, which you can take as a good thing or a bad thing, longer into into life. Does, Does that make sense?
3: Well, I guess like it, with everything, entertainment, or maybe the the world is a darker place maybe in some way, or we see so m- many bad news on, on TV and everything. So maybe people are trying to find getaways and these getaways are easier to find than ever with video games, mangas, and, and maybe cosplay. And it, this that might explain why it's getting s- so popular, but at the same thing, we're, there's more and more people on earth and there's, <laughs> you know, these conventions are growing Super fast, and it's worldwide. It's not just in America. It's in China. There's Comic Con in China. There's in Turkey. There are, you know, uh, these conventions are worldwide. So I think it's just, you know, it's there's also less of a. Um, uh, uh, it's it's less socially awkward to take part in these things. So it's, you know, it's a. Uh, it, it's a snowball effect. I mean, if if people, you know, you're not ashamed of doing it, well you start doing it and some people see you and you start doing it. But I don't think it's that much of a finding your you know, staying a kid or maybe it's 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 going to, you know, a fantasy land for for two days, but all these people they're very Aware of what they're doing, and it's just it's a it's a getaway from the you know uh, 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 you know the nine to uh, five uh, uh, week they have, and you know their mortgage and all the stress. And when you go there, well, you know some people go drive cars in circle for for fun, or do or do paintball. <laughs> I mean, it's for me at the end, it's it's the same thing. You know, if you go sh- play war with your friends, what kind of game is that? You know, uh, shooting each other with paintball, or or uh, so it's it's, uh, it's it's just a way to getaway and uh, i think it's uh, what what i think a difference with video game that i enjoy with cosplay that it involves creativity and it it also involves meeting other people and so because you can play video game and stay in your basement and never go out and uh, but with cosplay you have to go out you have to either buy yourself a costume or make one and you have to you know go in front of thousands of people. And I think there's a lot of really shy people who really opened themselves going to these conventions, who met, you know, who made friends, who met the love of their life. I met a few people who got married in cosplay. You know, that's exotic, but you know, why not? And it's cheaper than doing it in, in, I don't know, uh, Cancun.
2: I think as well, To your point, Alan, there's a big difference between childish and childlike, and I think this is childlike, and it it gives us an opportunity to have that escape, but what makes it that much more adult is the effort that goes into these costumes. I talked to a couple of stormtroopers at the Fan Expo. One of them told me that he was denied entry to the 501st Legion, which is that sort of international group of stormtroopers star wars cosplayers he was denied entry into the organization the toronto chapter because his helmet wasn't good enough (laughs) and he had to go back and he had to rebuild it all over again and figure out what he did wrong and and come back to them and they finally said okay now you are good enough to march with 12 other guys who are also wearing the exact same style costume uh, around the convention center and they find themselves at hospitals helping children feel better about their world Uh, they do all sorts of charity work as well so how long did it take you to actually build this stormtrooper suit about three to six months Three to six months. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
4: it's every, not just a function of going on the internet and ordering the parts. No, it isn't. No, no, it has to be made to fit you as well too, right? Luckily, I'm more or less the size of a, of a, a normal stormtrooper. Oh, oh, we, are, are you
2: sure you're about the normal <laughs> size of a stormtrooper? I
4: am. Yes. Yeah. Back then, the original actors were about five foot eight to five nine. Yeah. So I'm not too bad for that, right? But you did have Han Solo, who was like six one right? And you have shorter Stormtroopers like Mark Hamill who's like more like 5'6", five, 5'5". Five, five. Right. So the Five First Legion we don't, um, you know, f- we won't take any size. So we will help make it fit you.
2: Okay, so if it took you three to six months to build a, a solid Stormtrooper outfit, what about Boba Fett?
5: This took me about 14 to 16 months.
2: Really? Yeah. Now you've got a, a headset on as well. Are you telling me that this gives you that sort of sound effect? A little bit. It just allows me to talk through the helmet. Now one thing I never noticed with the original A New Hope, or any of of the films for that matter, is that there was actually an LED readout on Boba Fett's breastplate.
5: Yeah, there's an LED, there's actually a little flashlight in my wrist. Um, There's a lot of little things that are kind of hidden throughout
2: the costume. What was the most difficult thing about building a Boba Fett costume? The helmet.
5: Why? Uh, This is my second helmet Um, because the 501st we have our tough standards and the first helmet could not make the cut so I had to make a brand new helmet from scratch and try again.
2: Now, what was it about the first helmet that didn't make the uh, snuff for the 501st? Because you guys take this very seriously.
5: Yeah, the, my first helmet was a little warp. Um, there's actually like slight flare to the helmet, and I just didn't get the flare right on the first time. But if I
2: understand correctly, the Stormtrooper helmets were actually malformed when they made them back in 1977. And so the, the, the model, the mold for it is actually... Uh, well, probably wouldn't pass your standards these days. Well, actually,
4: the imperfections of the armor is something we also look for. On some of the armor, like myself, we have see the bumps from the original molds there, not completely flat like you would see in a toy store, and that is something that they actually look for. And we actually will build the imperfections right into the, into the armor.
2: Okay, so my theory about stormtroopers is that as much as people say that they can't shoot straight, it's the exact opposite. They were given express orders to let... The good guys get away because they have the tracking device on Han Solo's Millennium Falcon. That's correct. I'm validated here. (laughs) You are validated here, yes. Why did you choose to go as a Stormtrooper as opposed to anything else in the Star Wars universe? People
4: love Stormtroopers. People love Stormtroopers. And in a way, they are actually the face of the Empire as well. Uh, It is our most popular costume in the 501st. We have over 4,500 Stormtroopers worldwide.
2: Um, and it's just fun being a Stormtrooper. It really is. But you chose the original Stormtrooper. Why didn't you go with the funky ones on the speeder bikes or the, the modern ones and the new reboots? I actually have
4: the new f- uh, first-order Stormtrooper as well. And you chose the original instead? I have both, so I can do it whenever we have a need for for whichever character is available.
2: Right. I, I guess it's, it's relevant to whatever you guys are up to. And you that's guys correct. do a tremendous amount of uh, publicity work. And I don't know if publicity is the right way to go about it because um, you do a lot of things for charities. Yes, that's correct. So what are some of the things that you've done? Because I can imagine, you know, everybody's seen a Stormtrooper, and there's a thousand of you guys, Mm -hmm. but there's only one Boba Fett. Yes, there
5: is.
2: (laughs) So tell me about the reaction.
5: Uh, Usually very positive. Um, Then I get swarmed, and uh, it usually takes me like a half hour to move like 10 feet to the right or 10 feet to the left, because
2: it's usually a big lineup around me. So then how do you guys decide, as an organization, who gets to be Boba Fett on any given day?
5: Um, We have a few Fets in our garrison, and we just work it out among, amongst ourselves okay you get first shift i get second shift etc how does
2: fan expo work for you guys
5: a uh, similar thing so you know one of us would do you know thursday
4: morning and thursday afternoon we just rotate around mm-hmm. and so you guys take shifts and this is all volunteers it's all volunteers yeah 100 every cent that we get through donations at our booth uh goes to uh, make a wish canada
2: what's your favorite story of a kid coming up to you
4: Oh, we just love the reactions we get from kids, uh, especially those who have never seen us before. I think what's best is when we see a, uh, maybe a young person who's never seen the movie before, and they're a little bit afraid at the beginning, but then they see what we're doing, they see other kids' interaction, and before you know it, they're up and hugging us. And that's that's, the best, that's the, really the best experience. Thank you very much, guys. Okay. Uh, what's your first name? Steve. And your last name, Steve? Chu. Chu, and? Uh, James O'Brien. Thank you very much, guys. How long have you guys been doing this? Uh, well, I've been doing it myself for about four years. But the uh, the 501st has been around for 20.
1: There's an international union of stormtroopers in the real world. Oh, yes. See, I think there's
3: 35,000 of
1: them or so. I am so out of this loop. I will leave it to you guys. And <laughs> again, if this is what makes you happy, you go right ahead. No judgment on my part. I just don't understand it. And I'll leave you to it, Jean-Philippe. What is your
2: favorite story of the two years you spent working on this film and interviewing people who decided one morning, "Yep, I'm going to get up and I'm going to dress up"?
3: Oh my God, that's a good question. There's so many things, uh, you know, that that we can not see in the movie. I think the the story of Jake is quite interesting. It's it, uh, this guy that is. He's cosplaying mostly one character he's cosplaying kakashi from the naruto ma- manga series and he's got about 18 different costume of that same character and you know it's sometimes he do other cosplay but 95% of all he does is this and he actually makes a living out of it he he sells stuff on the internet but pictures uh, autographs and, and things like that and he, but it's mostly of one character and he's he he was so uh, touched and impressed by this fictional character. But thats it's like a real human... I mean, he makes the difference between uh, fiction and reality, of course. But for him, this was a role model. This character was a role model for him. So he he wanted to embody that character to pay a tribute, like the, the, the biggest tribute he could, and kind of spread the, I don't know, spread the love of this character to other people. And through doing that, he, because she was a woman she he's now a, he's a transgender and he discovered that he was more comfortable being a, a man than a, a woman so I think it's it's this might be on the on the far left side of the <laughs> cosplay thing. The other thing I found really interesting was seeing, you know, that it is really worldwide. It's, it's and that these culture, either it's Star Wars, Star Trek, or mangas, they, uh, in the movie we go in Romania, and in Romania it's as popular as it is in New York and as it is in Japan, and all these uh, people share the love of characters and, and series, and, it's it's even if there's a, a, a language barrier they they you know they can always you know take pictures of each other and they they talk through you know, watching TV shows on their iPad and showing uh, sketches. So I think this is, this is very interesting to see this as a worldwide phenomena that you know brings people together. And you know, I've seen so many crazy things. In, in New Orleans, I went to the crew of Tobacco's parade. I don't know if you've seen that part of the movie, but this is incredible. These are fabulous artists who who march thousands of them with crazy mashup of you know, uh, uh, My Little Pony and uh, and Princess Leia and the the. Okay. Make-
1: okay. Wait a second. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm out. I am total what? Princess yeah. play- uh, dudes too, right? Uh dudes, uh, dudes all of, everything. I mean, there's unicorn, there's giant finises, okay, I'm, there's, done. Uh, <laughs> I'm done. Uh, this Oh, the rest you, of this you need is
1: is is you guys
3: I just I, I'm I'm just going to sit here with my arms crossed. You go ahead. <laughs> But I think this is something anyone should see at least once in their lifetime. I mean, if you go to, to New Orleans for Mardi Gras and you see those regular boring parade, if I can say, these guys... There's
1: boobs! There's uh, boobs!
3: <laughs> yeah, there's there's everything. There's absolutely everything. It's like the... Yeah, it's like the gay pride meets Comic Con meets uh, uh, Mardi Gras. It's... it's uh, But it's very... Uh, and these people are true artists. I mean, the, the, the things they develop, it's all... It, um, uh, it's all handmade. They make these huge floats, You know the cantina from Star Wars, where they, they built it, and it's rolling, and they give beer to people <laughs> when they, they. So it's 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 truly amazing what they do because there's not a lot of. Uh, I mean. They, there's not really any laws for Mardi Gras, so they can go very wild. And it's you know it's all environmentally friendly what they do, and it's it's truly inspiring. And they they rent this old warehouse to set up the floats weeks and weeks in advance. And it's, it takes these people you know what a whole year to build what they want to build. And there's oh no it's 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 really crazy.
2: Jean-Philippe Rochu is the documentarian behind Cosplay Culture. You can get it on Vimeo.
3: Thank you for having me. That was fun.
2: Thank you so much for your time and uh, for giving Alan some to think about, too.
3: I'm going to yeah, have go. nightmares. <laughs> nightmares. Tonight, I want to give it all to you. In the darkness,
1: there's so much I want to do. And tonight, I want to lay it at your feet. Because, girl, I uh, How
2: can you be so discombobulated about this considering you grew up listening to Kiss?
1: Well, yes, okay. Now, let's just roll into this whole idea of cosplay and music. All rock and roll is pretty much cosplay. Let's, Let's face it, you dress up as something that is larger than life you are a superhero um i mean i've seen how many people dress up as kiss i've seen how many people mimic steven tyler or jim morrison or axl rose with the headband I, I i totally understand it so much of rock and roll is cosplay and then we can also look at things like uh you know rock and roll fantasy camps because people spend lots of money to go to these camps dress up and then act out fantasies as rock stars so i, I totally understand um it's just this idea of Princess Leia interbred with my little ponies and unicorns walking down the street having a good time. I mean, I tr- I'm, I'm, tr- I'm a very progressive person, Michael. I, I, oh, clearly. I, I, am, I am. Clearly, I, I have, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, makes you happy. But uh, okay, maybe, maybe I just, my capacity for understanding certain parts of the human condition is limited. I may have brain damage. Let's
2: put I, it that way. I, I don't know. Uh, Princess Leia, My Little Pony, maybe it's stirring up feelings inside you that are concerning to you, and, and you don't know how to deal with them. Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but that,
2: come but, on, you but have let, to... Let's come back, though, to, to, the, to Kiss, specifically, because I was never a fan of Kiss growing up. I was never a fan of heavy metal growing up. It scared me as a, a little white bread, well well-to-do boy. But... There was a huge following of, of I'm not going to say children, but late, early teens, late teens. Uh, and I do remember there was a point where no one knew who the musicians behind Kiss were because of the makeup. And it was a big deal when the makeup came off for the first time.
1: Yeah, they started in the early 1970s and they decided that their gimmick was going to be to dress up in these character costumes, you know, a bat, a cat, a star man, uh, a, a spaceman, you know, these kinds of things. And it was very successful. Um, however, their fan base tended to be... Uh, adolescents and late adolescence. There were some people in, in their 20s that thought this is really cool and, and, and got into them. But when Kiss was around in their first generation, their first iteration, which would probably be to 77, 78, it really was... Uh, they were not taken seriously at all because of the costumes. Now, when they blew up and started making millions of dollars uh, with their concerts and selling millions of records, well, then people started to pay a little closer attention, realize that it was escapist fun. They did take it a little too far. There was that terrible movie called Kiss and the Phantom of the Park, which was a made-for-TV movie where they played themselves in character about some haunted amusement park. It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> oh, jeez. And uh, by the end of the, of the 1970s, they had pretty much run that uh, horse into the ground, so they took off the makeup. And there there was that whole thing. You know, okay, one of the things about KISS is that they were big during the pre-internet era. So they fostered mystery. They fostered misdirection. They fostered myth and legend. And you couldn't go online to learn the truth about it. There were no pictures of them without their makeup. There was no stories, you know, that that purported to tell the truth about these guys. The the whole thing was hidden, this wonderful facade. Uh, That worked for a while. Then they took off the makeup. It did not work. Then they went back to the makeup uh, and after a, a period of time in the, in the wilderness, uh, they became this 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 retro this this nostalgic act that continues to make millions of dollars even to even today.
0: London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati, from the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update.
2: We have not 1, not 2, but 3 co-producers who have a combined 8 legs.
1: Uh you do the math. My... <laughs> okay, there's got to be 1 dog and 2 No. 1 dog and 2 humans. Yes! OK,
2: we want to say thank you to Kevin Waghorn, who is the co-producer of this week's show, along with Stephanie Hopkins. And last week, Mike Boulay was the big shot co-producer on the show. And so, of course, he got his name on the album art this week. He's decided to continue to support the show, but it's his dog Oakley, who is technically the co-producer of this week's show. We don't have any trouble with that. We are an equal opportunity money taker. Oakley, by the way, he says, is the world's most laid back Dalmatian. Twelve years old, spends his days sleeping either under his desk or his ex-wife's desk. But apparently his low key attitude is not just due to age. He's always
1: been like this. Yeah, it's like Schmooze. My bull terrier, the elder bull terrier, very, very low key. Uh, she's not in the studio tonight. She usually is. Uh, you could hear her snoring in the background, but she uh, she had a walk before the, the show tonight, so she's sleeping on the couch.
2: Stephanie Hopkins, meantime, uh, says that she's not only a big-time music fan, but also a geek, too. She says she grew up listening to you in the
1: ongoing history of rock. Get the name of the program right, Michael. It is Ongoing History of New Music.
2: I know, but this is what she wrote.
1: Okay. The program's been on since 1993, and people still—it's a terrible name for a show. It is an awful. I didn't pick. Actually, it. you know what? I think it's a great name for a show because it suggests that it
2: doesn't come to an end.
1: That there's always going to be another episode. This was the thinking behind it. But when you when you try to get people to recall what the program is called, nobody knows. But anyway, continue.
2: Having said that, she also says she's now an avid Business News Network viewer. Huh? Ah. Ah. Got the name of your network right. Finally, someone who's watching or listening for me. (laughs) Um, She actually says all that vinyl isn't going to pay for itself. She says she's been with us since the beginning back in 2013 when she went looking for back episodes of your show. She says um, that uh, many of a commute has been not so terrible. And this is her way of saying thanks. And get this. She says she and her now husband eloped in 2013 and listened to us on the beach in Nevis as they celebrated their new
1: life. Uh, Nevis, by the way. But very nice. I've never been to Nevis or Nevis. I have been to Nevis. So I can tell you that it is actually Nevis. I would like to say
2: congratulations for taking my advice, even though I didn't give it to you. Whenever I find out that someone's engaged, my advice is this. Elope. Save the money. There's Nothing brings out the worst in families quite like deaths, births, and weddings. Did you elope? No, we were told to elope. We did not. And I regret that. I think we would have been better off spending the money on a nice, beautiful trip to Nevis, <laughs> or Nevis, depending on where you land, and uh, saving the rest of that cash for the down payment on the house.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, we spent an awful lot of money in our wedding, but I'm from a Ukrainian family. And...
5: One, two, three, four.
0: Cabbage, rolls, and corn.
1: If I hadn't spent that money, then we wouldn't have got enough money for a down payment on a house. If you know what I'm saying. Oh yeah, we have we, us, us white bread types. We don't do
2: that, you know, envelope of money type of thing. Uh, and and by the way. Um, on the whole topic of if you don't take my advice and you do not elope and you do have the big family wedding and you've got that family member who's making your life difficult give them a task something to do we had a relative who was bugging us left right and center just making our lives miserable and we gave that person a, a single a single role in the entire production and that shut her up and she was happy and everything was great after that Mm, Top story at geeksandbeats.com. Geeks and Beats Jay Moon interviewed Blair Babcock, who, among other things, he's a musician, etc. But what the big deal is with this guy over at geeksandbeats.com, he sold his Bill Barilko hockey card, which, by the way, he did not keep tucked up under his 50 mission cap, and he sold
1: the card for charity. I saw this. He was going to university in Kingston, he knew someone who knew the band. He um, he got that person to get some stuff signed, which included this Bill Rocco hockey card. He put it away and only brought it out after Gord Downey died. And then he put it up for auction on eBay. And I think he made $6,200, and it's all going to various charities. Nice, Nice call. Then I reposted the card and the signatures on my Facebook page. I was just going to leave it at that. And
4: as I went along, I was like, you know, it's just sitting in a basement, you know, and it's I'm never gonna let it see the light of day because that goes against what I know you should do if you're a card collector. So I think it's gonna probably find a better home and I think I can honor Gord and my dad and, and raise some money and and donate it to worthy causes. And and they're both um you know, not that I know Gore Downey personally, but anytime you see him talk, it wasn't just about the entertainment. You know, his social values were exceptional and um, he was a great humanitarian and my dad was a great humanitarian and it was an easy way to honor them in that sense.
1: That's nice, and again, very altruistic. It just shows you exactly how much Gord Downey's situation and the love the country had with the Tragically Hip has spurred people to do all these altruistic, grassroots charitable things. I think it's fantastic.
2: The entire interview, by the way, at geeksandbeats.com, if you want to listen a little bit more about the history of the card and uh, and and Blair's father, who played a role in it as well, who had died from the same thing Gord Downey had died of about a decade to the day.
1: Wow, glioblastoma.
2: Krista Samson at Geeksandbeats.com asks, anybody wanna to buy Tom Petty's house? on a
1: mystery. Yeah, I guess he's
2: not gonna be needing it anymore. Nope. He actually listed it in March of this past year for just under 6.2 million. They reduced the price 2 months later to 5.8 million. She writes proving that even rock stars aren't immune to a housing market shift. Is this in Malibu? Where is it? Lake Sherwood, California.
1: Okay. I am going to LA on Saturday to see Morrissey at the Hollywood Bowl Saturday night. Um I have a f- I have a free day on Sunday, so I may do a photo safari and see if I can find this place. Maybe there'll be an open house. Yeah,
2: well, if you go to the com article, there's a link to where exactly you can find it in case you do in fact want to go stalking.
1: Well, I can at least go to the front gate and have a look.
2: So did you get any kids uh, this past uh, Halloween at the door?
1: Um yeah, probably less than 30. My really? wife took care of them all. Yeah. We, our problem is that we live on a street leading into a neighborhood, and behind us are a series of courts and crescents. So the kids tend to stay on the courts and crescents because it's just a loop. Ah. To go To cover our street, you would have to go all the way to the end, and then there's nothing. And then across the street, there's nothing because there's a park. So it's too much trouble to walk up and down our street. They just stick to the back roads in our, in our, in our subdivision. So that's basically what it was.
2: Did you see this at Geeks and Beats? Shane Alexander reports that vinyl will help you get rid of a pesky ghost. Uh, yeah. You want to explain this? I don't think I can. And apparently neither can uh, Google because you ask Google Home how to get rid of ghosts. And this is what it says.
0: Here's some information from the web that might possibly help. On the website wikihow.com, they say, Record your experiences. Once you've gotten rid of any natural causes, you will need to catalog your haunting to better understand how to deal with it. Use a record player to try to communicate with the haunting. Ask it questions and record it to see if the ghost answers.
2: Very light on uh, an explanation as to how playing a record helps you attract a ghost.
1: By the way, I went to the Fall Downtown Record Show today. Oh, yeah. And, and I uh, $215 lighter. Ooh, one guy at this particular stall where I was rooting through all the crates, he he walked away with this big look of fear and elation on his face because he had just spent $700 for a Misfits 7 inch. Oh, wow. $700. That's a 100 bucks an inch.
0: <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. Geeks <laughs>